I wonder if he was worried about getting to the last couple of days on the river and all of his passengers have run out of booze and now they're cranky. (laughs) No, what he was worried about is that we would run out of booze and start drinking his. (laughs) Which again, spoiler alert, also happened. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today's episode is the second in our two-part Dory's Ho series. In our last episode, we discussed our first trip down the Colorado River in 2016. Today, we're talking about the second trip that we did in 2019 which was 18 days in a dory boat traveling 280 miles down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. That's right. And we're going to talk about what it's like to have a young dory boatman take us through one of the most challenging rapids in the country. We're going to describe some of the hikes and adventures that the boatman took us on that pushed us to our limits. And we're going to reveal the major Pringle supply upgrade in our lunches. To kick things off, we discuss Karen's definition of bucket list and some of the places we have left on our bucket list. And at the end of the episode, we'll answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment. Did we ever tell people about the meaning of the word bucket list? (laughs) You mean my meaning? Wait, you mean my meaning that you wrote about in Dory's Ho for everyone to was read? That Dory, <laughs> was that in Dory's Ho that we yes. wrote about that? Yes, it was. You know, I think sometimes people think that we make up stuff that's in our book. And, and some of the stuff we edit so that it's maybe more interesting. But the whole bucket list thing was straight out of... Our actual life. I know. You threw me under the bus. You don't have to write about every single thing. (laughs) You know, it didn't come out until we started talking about what exactly. We had two different versions of what a bucket list was. I think I said it was in my bucket. I know. And you (laughs) were insistent that it meant that you put your wishes in a bucket. And I was trying to explain to you, it's, it's the list of things you want to accomplish before you kick the bucket. You thought that I was making that up. Then I was worried that there actually might be a bucket somewhere, a real bucket that you have. With pieces of paper. With pieces of paper in it. And I'm still not sure that that isn't true. Okay. So now that we're talking about it, it sounds a little ridiculous. But back then, you know, when people died, I never, ever used the phrase kick the bucket. It wasn't even in my vocabulary. Did you ever say, oh, gosh, our neighbor's uncle kicked the bucket? No. Well, I don't never remember our that. neighbor's uncle ever die. <laughs> okay, that's so. beside the point. <laughs> what I'm saying is when people would say bucket list, I didn't associate it with kicking the bucket. I thought it was just an this imaginary is, bucket. This, no, this, is, this is knowledge you're born with. <laughs> It's just part of the, it's just pre-coded in your brain that you, everyone knows what kick the bucket means. Well, I didn't. Now I'm getting even more worried. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so the trip down the Colorado River that we wrote about, that was on your bucket list. And we have done a lot of bucket list items in the last 10 years, but we still have quite a bit in your bucket. Yes, I was just thinking about that. And, you know, there are a few things that we attempted to do and we had plans and reservations to do that fell through, like hiking rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah. You know, we were all set for that. And then a pipe burst. Yeah, the the pipe washed out the trail and they they closed the trail for one day, the Uh day that we were going to go. And that we we had all of our reservations lined up, which is a tricky thing to do. So we have- We got to do rim to rim sometime. That's that's in the bucket. And another thing in my bucket is hiking up to Sperry Chalet in Glacier National Park and spending a couple of nights up there. We had that planned for, I think, 2017. And then that awful fire swept through and burned down the Sperry Chalet. And there's other chalets in Glacier National Park that I'd like to hike to. So we go on a a chalet bucket list trip. Yeah, the Sperry Chalet has been rebuilt. So now we need to book that. And and also in Glacier, we we have never done a, a hike on a trail that's off of 
the going to the stun road. I so know. We, we, there's a bunch of cool hikes up uh-huh. there, so we got to do that. That's right. And then the other thing, too, that has been on our bucket list that's fallen through twice is the Chilkoot Trail in up in Alaska. You know, the first time we didn't make it all the way because of flooding. And then I'm we aware. Were... I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were supposed to go this past summer, and COVID, COVID killed that, that trip. COVID thing. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ones still on your list? Well, I think there's some overlap between mine and yours. We want to do a meaningful trip in the Maze District of Canyonlands National Park. I think there's hikes still in Bears Ears that we should do. You know, Capitol Reef. There's still some hikes. We have to do a bison roundup or two. I'd like uh, to go that's to Ant- been on your list for a long time. I would like to do both Custer State Park and Antelope Island Bison Roundups. We haven't done Jewel Cave, talking about the Black Hills. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole central mountains of Oregon, like the Sisters, there's a whole bunch of hikes that are trails that are really cool to hike that we've never done. Uh, Sequoia National Park in the snow. Okay, that one, I'm hoping we can check that off the list maybe. This in- week. Well, maybe not this week, but maybe in January. Yeah, to see the giant sequoias in the snow, that is on my very short bucket list. Also, close by, not in the winter, would be Yosemite, those high Sierra camps where you- Hut to hut? Yeah, those big canvas tents. You spend the night in the tents and hike to each one for a week. That's on my list. And the free climb uh, El Capitan (laughs) in, in Yosemite Valley? That's on like my list. Alex Hanel, uh, I'm just going to, you know, without ropes. <laughs> so I got that. That's on That's, your list? Yeah. I'll watch from the bottom okay. as you do that one. <laughs> yeah. And gosh, so many. And then I would also like to branch out to Europe and do, so I guess in Scotland, you can hike from inn to inn. In Scotland, you can, and you drink scotch every <laughs> inn that you go to. So... We could do that. <laughs> That's right. And in Italy, I think in the Dolomites, there's hut to hut. And I don't know. There's so much to do in so little time. We got to get on it. <laughs> got to get on it. <laughs> Why well, are let's, we sitting like, here? Clear the table off and dump that bucket. Get the bucket out. <laughs> get all those pieces of paper out of the bucket. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to episode two of our two-part Dory's Host series. Thank you. Glad to be here. (laughs) I wasn't directing the welcome to you. (laughs) I was wondering, who who are you welcoming? Sometimes when we record these things, you you talk like there's an audience and it's just me. (laughs) Well, hopefully there's an audience, but I do get confused sometimes because sometimes the you I'm talking about is you. Matt, and sometimes the you is the audience. So I do get that that can be confusing. I'm always confused <laughs> when you're talking. So so this is episode two of two mm-hmm. of our Dory's Ho miniseries. You, <laughs> that sounds ambitious to yeah, call it, it a miniseries. It is a miniseries. And if you, meaning the audience, not you, Karen. Okay, got it. If you haven't listened to the first of two Dory's Ho episodes. You might want to do that first. Yeah, because in that first episode, we talked about a lot of things that we're not going to get into today. Burning questions that you might have like, how did we go to the bathroom on the river? And how did we keep our beer cold? Things like that. And we covered all of that, lots and lots of details in episode one. And today in episode two, we're going to talk about our second trip On the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon, where we spent 18 days on the river and we covered 280 river miles. When we finished that first trip, which if you haven't listened to the first episode, I'll tell you now that it was only six days and we left the river at Phantom Ranch and hiked out. That was the schedule. But we kind of felt that the trip wasn't over. (laughs) When we got to Phantom Ranch... We didn't want the trip to be over. Neither did anyone else that was on the trip with us. And so when we kind of got home, we felt like there was some unfinished business. And we 
we wanted to see the rest of the canyon. That's right. We still had about, what, another 180 river miles that we hadn't seen yet. So right away, we decided to book another trip. We, were, we wanted to book the second half of the trip where we hiked down to Phantom Ranch and continue on. And we got online, filled out the ORS application, and submitted it almost immediately when we returned. We were hoping for two years out, which would have been in 2018. However, ORS notified us that we did not get that trip because they simply didn't have room for 16 people on the second half of that trip. So we were nixed that year. So the following year, we applied again, but this time we decided to go for the whole thing. That worked out great because we had about half of the original group with us, and then we had uh, some new couples. That's right. It didn't take us long to find four new couples to take the place of our friends who couldn't make it on the second trip. But, you know, it is a big time commitment because not only is it 18 days on the river, but then you've got your travel days to and from Flagstaff. So, you know, you need to plan on at least three weeks. And those 18 days on the river, you have no contact with the outside world. So if you're running a business, if you have small children at home, I mean, there is no cell service, there's no internet, there is nothing. So some of our friends weren't able to go for those reasons, and it's totally understandable. Yeah, it does create some anxiety, particularly as super connected as we are these mm -hmm. days and checking on family and friends and social media every three seconds. To be out of contact for 18 days is a pretty big deal. Plus, if you have commitments, if you have elderly parents that you're taking care of or you're responsible for, or you have kids that you're responsible for, that's a long time to be out of communication. So it's kind of a rare stage of life where you can just disconnect for 18 days. And we were fortunate that we were in that stage of life. Yeah, we just, <laughs> our, no one our, needs our kids us. Can just take care of themselves. <laughs> That's right. They won't even know we're gone. Now, you might think that it would be easier to get ready for the trip the second time around because we already know what to bring and know what to expect. But when you think about it, the first trip, we only had to pack for six days on the river. But the second trip, we had to pack for 18 days on the river, and we still had the same size dry bag to shove it all in. So now we have to make our choices more carefully. <laughs> well, right. However, that first trip, I remember realizing that we didn't wear all the clothes we brought. Mm -hmm. and, and some people even brought fewer clothes than us. I remember Aya's dry bag was half full. And I, I, I don't know how she does that. But you realize... You're just going to wear the same thing every day. That's right. And that's fine because you can get in the river and wash your clothes at the same time you're washing you. And, and everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. Every so, <laughs> no, actually, everyone's not in the same boat. There are four but, boats. But I think pe people know. What, oh, that what was I a meant. cute little yeah. punt, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> every time I got splashed by a wave, I just considered that a shower oh, and oh, yeah. thought I was good. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the trip started out pretty much the same. We met in Flagstaff at the Double Tree Hotel. But of course, this time we had a new trip leader. His name was Bruce, and he met us in the meeting room at Double Tree and kind of went over the whole trip again. He held out on us for a few days. We'll just skip forward just a little bit on this one topic is we found out several days into it that he's a Jayhawk. I know. <laughs> he went to the I University can't. of Kansas. <laughs> At the same time we were there. And so that was fun to find that out. That's right. That's I'm surprised right. he didn't tell us that at the meeting. I know. Now, the other thing Bruce told us that was different this time was at the end of the meeting, and this is what bonded us to Bruce immediately was, he told us all that after he looked through all of our orders for booze, he told us we did not order nearly enough for 18 days on the river. <laughs> <laughs> then we panicked. We, oh, yes. Then and we panicked and we <laughs> called an end of the meeting right there. And we all ran the two and a half blocks down the street to the Safeway that was open. Mm -hmm. and, and oh, and my gosh. We bought panic buying of, of booze. <laughs> For some reason, I bought a 12 pack of White Claw. I don't even drink I, White Claw. I, I, <laughs> it was not rational. <laughs> we were panic buying. I think yeah. you guys bought more whiskey. We we bought everything because he told us we could just stick it into the storage areas of the dories. Right. I guess we didn't really understand that you could do that. 
And he was like, oh, yeah, buy whatever you want. We'll just stuck it, stick it in the bottom of the boats. I know. I wonder if he was worried about getting to the last couple of days on the river and all of his passengers have run out of booze and now they're cranky. Well, no, he, what he was worried about <laughs> is that we would run out of booze and start drinking his. <laughs> Which, again, spoiler alert, also happened. <laughs> It is hard to figure out how much booze you're going to drink for 18 days because you think rationally in your mind, okay, I'll have one or two drinks a day. But then when you actually get on the river, maybe those one or two drinks are two and three. Or ten. And, or, <laughs> no, we never had ten drinks no, in a day. No, we never did. The next day was the same. The vans picked us up and we drove to Lee's Ferry. But when we got out and met our new crew and looked at the river, one thing was hugely different. The river was a different color yes. than, than the first trip. <laughs> it was crystal clear. It was, it was green. Oh, my gosh. It was the best omen I have ever seen in my life. We were overjoyed. The difference between this clear, beautiful flowing river and the muddy hot chocolate soup that we had on the previous trip. It was like night and day. So that was one thing that was different and one thing that was so, so much better. The other thing which I really appreciated was because we had the whole trip the whole time, one party of 16, they splurged and they put out two groovers. That's right. Every yeah, night we every had every two. Day. Yeah, every day. Whereas on the first trip, I think we might have had two groovers one night, but usually it was just one. And this time it was like a luxury. Which it, bathroom should I go was. to? <laughs> <laughs> and the other luxury that we found out as the trip went on was they put out two cans of Pringles potato chips instead of one. Do you think that that was because Bruce had read our book? Before. I think it might have because been. Because in, in Dory's Hope, we we describe how at lunchtime they would put out one can of Pringles for all 26 people before lunch was served. Now, we didn't criticize that. We were just describing how challenging that is <laughs> to have 26 people share one can of Pringles. And so uh, they uh-huh. had two cans of Pringles. Every day. And, every single day. And we appreciate it. And we really appreciated it. Now, the other thing about this trip that we knew was going to be different, and it caused both excitement and fear, was that on the second half of the river trip, we knew that there would be many more rapids and much, much bigger rapids. Two of the most famous ones. You want me to say them? (laughs) (laughs) Crystal Rapid and Lava Falls. That's right. We watched YouTube videos before the trip, which we shouldn't have, about boats, dory boats and rafts going through these rapids. And many of them flipped. And I mean, I was... It's pretty dramatic when you see the footage and and photos from uh, people standing on the shore of, of the river, taking these photos or videos of the boats going through. It's pretty dramatic. And yeah, it creates a lot of anxiety. But and looking forward to the challenge also. Right. It was both exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> now, after we set off, our first night's campsite was at Hot Hot Nana. Is it Hot Nana? Hot Nana? Hot, hot Nana. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Hot Nana. <laughs> so we, know it, we know it's not that. I'm just going to say we stayed at the same first campsite, but after that, every single night, we had a different campsite than the trip before, which was kind of fun to see some new places. Yeah, that's one of the jobs of the trip leader is to scout out the camps and decide where we're camping every night. And I, I was a little surprised that they don't necessarily have a plan when when they start out on the trip. And there's there's a reason for that. You don't know how far you're going to get every day. I mean, you kind of know that first day that you're going to get to Hot Nana Camp. After that, it depends on the hikes you do and just how things are going. They also... As we pass the other parties on the river, they would talk to the other boatmen and they would all then exchange ideas about, well, where are you camping tonight? And we, and so the boatmen are very considerate 
of privacy. They want to camp every night where you can't see anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so they're talking to the other boatmen and and making a plan so that, okay, if you're going to be here, I want to make sure I'm far enough away that, that we don't see it, which I think is great that they do that. Yeah, I do too. It's definitely a juggling act every day to figure out where they can camp that's big enough for 26 people and all the stuff that comes with us. And, and like you said, be considerate of the other groups that are on the river as well. This second trip that we did, it was a little bit before September 15th. So there were still motorized rafts on the river. And and I got to say, that was not a problem at all. Well, no, they're going so much faster than we are and covering so much ground that once they passed us, we never saw them again. And you and it's not like you're seeing other people all the time. I mean, it's literally a five-minute episode in the middle of the day where you see another party pass through. The river, can it's, it's long enough, it's big enough, it can hold a lot of traffic, and you still feel like you're all by yourself. On our first episode, episode one, we didn't have time to go into – the hikes that we did, uh, just because we had so much information to cover. So we're going to talk on this episode about some of the more memorable and, let's not use the word spectacular, uh, breathtaking, jaw-dropping hikes that we did while we were there. And I think maybe the first one was on day three, and it was that beautiful Redwall Cavern. That's a cool place to stop and spend some time. It's a Bend in the river where the river has carved out this limestone. I think it's limestone. The boatman would die if they if I got that (laughs) wrong. But it's you would get an F in geology. (laughs) It's almost like a cave. It's not so much. It's not a cave. I don't know what to call it. It's just a cavern. It's you could call it a cavern (laughs) that has a sandy bottom. It's the size of. I don't know, three or three or four football fields. It's, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. And so you're covered. So on a hot day, it's nice because it's nice and shady and you can, you know, people throw the Frisbee in there. And, and play the guitar. There are some great acoustics in there. And one of our boatmen, Ryan, decided to rock climb the side <laughs> of the, the, the wall. A very talented rock climber. So anyway, that's that's a great place to hang out for a while. And that is a place where you, you will meet other parties because mm-hmm. it's a stop that everyone makes. And so parties are coming in and out. And- yeah, it's big enough to hold dozens of river rafting groups, though. It's so huge. Well, right. John Powell, when he went down the river, in his diary, he said that the area would hold 50,000 people. But I don't think that's... That seems like a high estimate. I, I would say 5,000, though. Yeah. So that was that was a beautiful area. That was beautiful. And then on day four, one of my favorites was Nankaweep. Yeah, Nankaweep. We had camped there on our first trip. And Nankaweep is the area where you can pick up the trail to the granaries. Mm-hmm. And that's always a fun hike, a very popular hike. I think people often do it that, that go down the river. It's what? It's maybe a seven, eight hundred foot elevation gain with a couple of miles up to an area in the cliffside where the indigenous people had created granaries where they stored grain. Not really sure exactly why they would store grain there. Maybe they just keep it away from critters to keep keep animals away from it. Could be that they were hiding it from other people so that it didn't get stolen. Could be that they just wanted it up high enough off the banks of the river. So if a massive flood came through, it it wouldn't harm their grain stores. But uh, anyways, it was a cool spot to go up and see. It's a very steep hike up there. And you're sort of perched on this ledge if you want to go all the way up and peek inside these openings. The boatmen are very particular about making sure that no one touches anything because one of the boatmen told us on a previous trip somebody leaned in and sort of collapsed all of the rocks that were stacked up around one of those openings. So they are, as they should be, they're very particular about preserving these places. Yeah. And when we say granaries, they're they're not super big. They're probably two or three feet deep by 10 feet wide, maybe three or four feet high. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a few of them there. 
But the views from up there of the Colorado River are incredible. And we will post some pictures on DearBobAndSue.com. But every time I see the photo from up there, it looks fake, doesn't it? Because it's so amazing. When you're on that trail, you can look down the river and the river is fairly straight for several miles. So it's not bending around a turn. You, you get a good several mile view of the river. Now on day five, we came to the confluence of the Little Colorado. Now, as we're traveling in our dory boats, we are actually headed downstream and we're traveling southwest and the Little Colorado comes in from the east and then it merges with the Colorado. And the Little Colorado is mostly on Navajo land. Navajo land stops, depending on who you ask, at the shore of the Colorado River. Mm -hmm. So the Little Colorado is all on Navajo land and they are very gracious to allow people to hike up for a little ways. Now, on our first trip, when we got there, the boatman had said that maybe the Little Colorado would be its typical turquoise color instead of brown like the Colorado River. And so we were really excited and hoping against hope that when we got there, it would be turquoise. And on the first trip, it was not. It was as brown and muddy as the Colorado. We still got out and looked around, but quite frankly, there wasn't much to see or do. But on the second trip... The second trip, it was spectacular. I'm going to use that word again. It was turquoise in color. Mm -hmm. The sun was out. The water was flowing. Other boat parties were there. People were in the water floating down the little Colorado. It was... It was like a dream. It was was perfect. So Mm -hmm. we got... On the first trip, probably the worst possible conditions. And then the second trip, we had ideal conditions. That's right. And and so we parked the boats. Well, we didn't park them. The boatmen parked them. And then we hiked maybe a half a mile or so along the little Colorado River up to a spot where we could get in the water. So, So what most people do is they take their life jackets off and step into them and wear them around the well, their waist, like their, a big, like it's a big like a, diaper. It's like a big <laughs> diaper. That's exactly what it looks like. And and if you do that, the life jacket then holds you up a little bit higher in the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could just wear your life jacket normal, but then your your head's bobbing up. If you put it around your waist, it lifts you up a little bit more. So as you're going down the river, not swallowing as much water. That's right. So we all got in, and it was a blast. And then at one point, we all got in at the same time in a line and grabbed the person in front of us by the waist and we formed a line. What do they call it? A train or a, I don't know. I don't don't know. It's like a, yeah, it's like a conga line at, at, at a wedding. Yeah. And then we all floated at the same time. We have a video of that. I wonder if we can post that. Yeah. It's a little hard to do because I don't know, we would have lines of 10, 12 people and the water's rushing. So the first person in the river, they're fighting the current while everyone else is in line. And then you have to sit down, put your legs up so the person in front of you can grab your ankles and the you know do all of that. At, at the same time, the river's trying to push you downstream. So it, it was fun just even starting the conga line. It was. And I don't know, we spent a couple hours there. It was one of the funnest days on yeah, the river, I think. we did that over and over again. <laughs> So right after that, I think it was that afternoon, they introduced us to bow riding. There are places along the river where you're going through rapids that are very small. There might even be riffles. They're not challenging. You're not worried about flipping the boat. I mean, you always have to be aware of what you're doing if you're the boatman. But it's a good place to bow ride. And what uh, what bow riding is, is a passenger sits on the very front of the boat, at the very tip of the bow, so the, they're straddling the bow, it's, it's coming up between their legs, and then you hold on to the bow. There's like just enough of a gunnel there that you can get a little bit of grip. Not a great grip. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a you know hold on for dear life grip. And because 
the bow is going into the riffles or the small rapids first, it has the highest amplitude of, of waves. And so it's a, a little bit like riding a bull, I guess, or a bucking bronco. It's a lot of fun. I, I did not do it for a few days because I, <clears throat> I didn't want to get tossed out. But finally, I don't know, after a few days, I thought, heck, I don't know how many more times we are going to be down here doing this. That's right. Like, this is our second trip. Mm. And so I bow rode a few times and then <laughs> kind of skipping forward to one of our last days. I don't know. that Maybe the boatmen were starting to have more confidence in us. But we were in Ryan's boat and he said, hey, Matt, you want to bow ride this next rapid? And I thought he would know how big that rapid is and apply some judgment as to whether or not it's a good idea for me to do that or not. So I was just thinking, yeah, great, I'll get up there. We couldn't even see the rapid from where <laughs> we were at. And we start approaching this rapid. We come around a turn and the rapid's right in front of us. And <laughs> it was a oh shit moment. I know. I was scared for you. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a widow maker. I was too scared to turn around, turn my head around and ask him if, if this is okay. And I think we were so close. I didn't have time to get off the bow and, and, and back into the seat. And that was a wild ride. <laughs> and we have, a, we have a video of it. Mm -hmm. So we'll put that video on our website. But yeah. it was a blast, absolute blast. The other thing we did throughout the trip, if we don't have time to mention this later, there were other stretches of the river that weren't too wild, but had enough of a current that they would let us jump out of the boat. Of course, we always had a life jacket on and then float with the current back to the boat for a little bit. And that was always a blast. Yeah. Being a voluntary swimmer also counted as a bath. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, and there was one time we all get in and you, you think that the entire river is moving at the same rate, which it isn't. There is a small channel in the middle of the river where the current is. And for some reason, I got out of that current and all the boats and other passengers went flying past me. And I thought I was going to be stuck. So, yeah, that was fun. And then there were also times they let the passengers row. So we had a boatman named Rio and we had everything packed up in the boats, ready to go, ready to shove off. And I'm sitting in the front of the boat, the, fr the front seat. Rio is at the bow pushing us into the river and he jumps up and sits on the bow like he's going to bow ride. <laughs> and he just sat there. He never said anything. He, this was late enough in the trip where he knew that we would understand that he wasn't going to start rowing, <laughs> that one of us would have to jump in the middle seat and start rowing. And after it, it took like maybe 60 seconds before we realized, oh, somebody needs to start rowing. So I jump in and row. And that was a blast because now I'm rowing Rio mm -hmm. down the river. And then I got to do a small rapid and he got to bow ride. So that, that was a thrill. It is hard to steer those boats. Oh, my gosh. The talent that those boatmen have, the skills that they have are unbelievable. Because they don't have rudders. So you have to literally guide the boat with your different oar strokes. <laughs> we did stop again briefly at Phantom Ranch. Uh, we just pulled up on the beach, got out, walked to the canteen and had lemonade and mailed some postcards. So that was a brief stop. But after that, we were on our way again. And then all of a sudden now, everything is new to us. And really, the excitement begins for us at this point. And bigger rapids in, yes. the, in the second half. And one of the biggest ones that we mentioned came on day seven, and that was Crystal Rapid. Now, Crystal Rapid is one of the most feared rapids on the entire Colorado River. The rapid is created because Crystal Creek is coming in on one side, on the north side, and Slate Creek is coming in to the river on the south side. So it's one of only a few places within the Grand Canyon where two side canyons converge at the same point on the river. And this is what creates some of the most technically difficult rapids for the boatmen. And the natural flow of the river is constricted into this little tiny section that we have to go through. <laughs> and like uh, many of the difficult rapids, we stopped right before it, got all the boats onto the shore, and 
everyone got out to scout the rapids. Usually they let us go with them as long as we stayed out of the way to, mm-hmm. to scout the rapids. Some In a couple of situations, they told us to hang back. I don't think they wanted us to hear mm-hmm. their conversation. That's right. Bruce had told us that morning when we woke up at camp, he, he was talking about Crystal, and he said, it's highly likely that when we get there, that the passengers will walk and only only the boatman will take the boats through. And we there's enough of a piece of land there that the passengers can actually walk and be at the other side of the rapid. So the whole time, the whole morning as it's we're leading up to Crystal, I'm thinking, it's fine. We're going to walk. We'll walk. It's going to be fine. And And that kind of calmed my nerves about the whole Crystal thing. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> all the boatmen turn around from their scouting and start heading back to the boats. And Bruce is like, everybody in. We're I, running it. I know. I almost passed out at that point. I was so scared. And he said, and this meant something to them. It didn't mean anything to me. We're running it on the left, he said. We're running it on the left. And he said, you need to get so far on the left that you almost hit the wall of the canyon. Uh-huh. Which, and guess what? <laughs> <laughs> we almost hit the left wall of the canyon. Whose boat were we? We're, howdy's. howdy's. We're in Howdy's mm-hmm. boat. And With John and Lolly. And about the middle of the rapid, he turned the boat sideways because he needed to pull as hard as he could away from the wall, but still stay close to it. And it took all of his energy to pull us away from that. And the bow, the bow missed the wall by... A foot. Oh, my gosh. I thought we were crashing into that wall. And Howdy, the boatman who is the most calm and just even-keeled man you will ever meet, I could hear him swearing. And I think that scared me, too, because he realized (laughs) that, oh, shit, I'm about to crash my dory into this wall. And, of course, Lolly's next to me. She's swearing up a storm. (laughs) Lolly always swears. (laughs) I know. Lolly swears at breakfast, but that's a different story. It was a thrill ride for sure. The thing about these rapids are they are over very quickly. I mean, it's this intense, maybe like a minute, maybe not even a minute, yeah, and then you're through it. But yeah, that that was a thrill for sure. Good old Crystal. Well, one thing that the boatmen do early in the trip is they take you on a series of adventures. And as you're hiking or doing whatever activity it is, they're figuring out how, how skilled the group is. They were assessing us. Mm-hmm. I think they might have overestimated our ability. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know why that is. I, I think what happened was the boatman from the first trip had talked to Bruce mm-hmm. and told him of a couple of hikes we had done on the first trip that were pretty aggressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I think they said, Oh yeah, these these folks are up for anything. And so Bruce took us on some pretty some pretty challenging things. Uh- Although I I don't think anything he took us on was above our skill level. It, it was right at the edge of it, our skill level. At the level. very edge. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll tell you about a few of these that were very memorable. Now, one of the hikes I was looking forward to the absolute most was Elves Chasm because I had seen photos of this place and it is this grotto with this waterfall and, and the name Elves Chasm describes it perfectly. You can just imagine what it looked like. There was moss and these granite rocks and this beautiful waterfall coming out of seemingly nowhere. It was magical, wasn't it? Yeah, you like places where (laughs) you can imagine mythical creatures living there. Yes, yes. Like gnomes and elves and (laughs) things like that. Just a little weird. Okay, well, that's that's what I'm attracted to, (laughs) so go figure. But you had to hike back to Elves Chasm, I don't know, what, maybe a half a mile? And the cool thing about Elves Chasm is there was like the secret passage behind that you could climb up and you could cliff jump right in front of the waterfall into this beautiful pool of water. And a lot of people in our group did it. We didn't. Yeah, it was... (laughs) Where you jumped off was maybe 20 feet above the water. So it was, uh-huh. wasn't huge. but And we have pictures of Elves Chasm and also one where one of the boatmen is in midair mm-hmm. as they jump. So we, we'll 
put that on the website so you can get a sense yeah, of, of Rich. How, how high up it was. Our yeah, buddy, our, our, buddy bu- our buddy Rich, Rich jumped mm-hmm. off and, and right. styled for us That's while he was in there. <laughs> That's right. So that was day eight. Now on day nine, they took us to a place called the patio. And running through the patio is Deer Creek. And it's absolutely beautiful. It, it does kind of look like a, like a patio. But then Deer Creek, after it wanders through this, it drops into this huge waterfall that's right off of the Colorado River. What the boatmen did on that day, they pulled the dories into this little tiny area where we could jump off onto these huge rocks. And everyone who wanted to do the hike got out there, which is all but just a few of us. And then the boatmen took the boats further down the river. Mm -hmm. And so we did this hike. It was not quite a loop. It was kind of like a big arc. So we'd go up and through some interesting ancient ruins and landscape. And then when we came back out, then the boats were there to meet us. And that, that whole afternoon, we probably were there three or four hours. We had stopped for a break along this cliff edge, and as we're sitting there drinking water, one of the women in our group found a piece of pottery, a pottery shard from however many hundreds of years ago, and it was about the size of her hand. It was a big big piece of pottery. So it was such a thrill for us. We passed it around, looked at it, and then, of course, you know, we always leave things where we found them. We tucked it under a bush. So hopefully <laughs> somebody else wouldn't take it and it would just lie there for another hundred years. That's right. But it was part of that hike was a little sketchy. As we came out of the patio, there was a sort of a slot canyon below us with water with Deer Creek rushing through it. And we were walking on this cliff edge above it a very narrow cliff edge. And if one slip down into the slot with the river running through it, you're a goner. Right. You are a goner. So that freaked me out a little bit. I know Howdy was sort of extending his hand and helping anyone like me who needed a hand across this. But that that was a little freaky. Yeah, it wasn't a long section, but it was treacherous enough that we were glad to get past that. That's right. Speaking of slot canyons with water running through, the next day they took us to a place called Metcatamoeba Canyon. That's kind of a mouthful, but we had no idea what was in store for us, did we? Absolutely not. No, we didn't. It was a challenging little rock climb, canyoneering, up through this slot canyon that had water rushing in it because we had to, I don't know what you call that, Crab crawl where your back is against one wall and your feet are on the other wall and you're sliding along. And some of us had brought backpacks and we probably shouldn't have because there was nowhere to put the backpacks. And so, yeah, and, and the water was was kind of deep in some spots. So you're you know up to your chest level of water while you're waiting for your turn to climb up these rocks. But that, that was a lot of fun. And once we kind of got past the initial slot canyon, it opened up. It was less treacherous, and we were able to spend a lot of time up in in this beautiful area. And this creek that I'm talking about that was running through the slot canyon, well, above where we finally climbed up to, it was flowing across slick rock in a kind of narrow trough. And eventually we all got the idea that we were going to <laughs> what, we were going to create a butt dam? Yeah, a butt so, dam. So butt to butt. And uh, the, the deal is we see how much water you can back up behind you. Mm-hmm. And eventually it pushes you hard enough that the whole butt dam collapses and we all slide down the slick rock for about, I don't know, 50 feet and then do it again. That's right. That was so much fun. You know, the thing I didn't realize before we did these river trips is – that down in the Grand Canyon, there are so many incredible side canyons, and there are waterfalls and grottos and all of these really astonishing places. I had just pictured the river itself and then rock walls that came down to meet the river, but it's just astounding what is down there. And all of these hikes that we're telling you about that we got to do, and actually we hiked every day. We're, we don't have time to talk about every single one, but Most of them are only accessible if you're on a river trip. Right. It's hard to or impossible for a lot of these to get there hiking from above. They're astounding and astonishing. (laughs) Do you 
Do you have a thesaurus over there that I can't I, see? I, I looked. I cheated. I looked. Do you have a list of before words? Before we started recording, I a looked staff. up. Okay. I, I Googled synonyms for spectacular. <laughs> Here's another it's one I have I, I love. Here's, I love cinnamon on anything. Synonym. Here's another one that I haven't used yet. Wondrous. Wondrous. Okay. okay I'm, I'm still trying to work that one in, but. The next day after Matt Karamiba, Canyon. Nice. I, you did that. Just, yeah, you got that. I just was saying that to see if I could say the word. <laughs> uh, that next day, day 11, we went, uh, we stopped at Havasu Creek. And have we done a podcast on our trip down to Havasu Falls? No, Maybe we, we, should, we, we need, need to, to do, do a that. podcast on that because that was a fantastic, that was a wondrous. Uh, <laughs> hey, you took my word. <laughs> that was a wondrous adventure that we had. <laughs> so we saw Havasu Creek from above. Uh-huh. And now on, on the river, we got to see it from below where it enters the Colorado River. So that day, we parked the boats right at the mouth of the creek and then uh, hiked up, what, about a mile? Yeah. We had permission from the Havasupai Indian tribe who owns all that land to hike about a mile, but no further than that without a permit, which we didn't have. So the guides were very particular about how far we could hike, as they should be. But it was amazing, it was wasn't wondrous. it? Yeah. It was wondrous. <laughs> and, it, and it was uh, the water is similar in color to mm-hmm. the Little Colorado. Yes. So whatever chemicals in the water, it makes it uh, light turquoise color. Mm-hmm. So we hiked up there. Had lunch, took naps, mm. had a great time. I think Craig even brought one of the sleep pads from the boat. He did. And he he inflated it and he just hung out in the middle of this eddy in the creek, mm-hmm. just floating on his sleep pad. Yeah, there's not many people down at that point because if you go to visit Havasu Falls, you're hiking 10 miles down from the rim to the village to the waterfalls. And that's what most people do. And then they hike back up. If you want to go down to the Colorado River from there, I believe it's another seven miles, if I'm correct about that. So a lot of visitors to Havasu Falls don't go all the way down to the river. This is only usually accessed by river rafting people. So we saw, gosh, a few other people, but not many. We've now seen it from above and below. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to day 12, which was Lava Falls Day. (laughs) A lot of um, anxiousness leading up to this day, I think, for a lot of us, because the boatman talked about Lava Falls Day a lot. Right. So the anxiousness builds for days. It's Mm -hmm. not just, oh, you wake up. Oh, yeah, today we're doing Lava Falls. This is something that you talk about the whole trip. It's it's, in terms of difficulty, it's probably the the peak of the difficulty. And not that after lava, it's all over because there's stuff on the river that can get you after Lava Falls. But if you can get through Lava Falls, there's you have a good chance of having a golden run. That's right. So before we talk about Lava Falls, we need to briefly mention our boatman, Ryan. Now, Ryan was the youngest of the Dory boatmen, and he was all of 27 years old, which is younger than our youngest child. <laughs> and Which we, always gives me confidence. Now that we're out in the world and there are, there are people <laughs> who have control over our livelihood that are younger than our youngest children. <laughs> Now, we did not realize it until we got to Phantom Ranch, but this was Ryan's first trip on the Colorado River rowing a dory. He, I guess, had been on the river before rowing one of the supply rafts. Yeah, the support Mm -hmm. rafts. He's he's rowed dories other places, but Mm -hmm. never down. And I'm sure he's rowed on the Grand Canyon for stretches, as as I have. (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) But this was his first time being a a dory boatman Mm -hmm. for the length of the Colorado. Mm -hmm. And this would be his first time rowing through Lava Falls. I know. So the way it works on the river is every night you ask a boatman if you can ride in his boat the next day. And you sort of line up your ride the night before. Well, when it came to Lava Falls, the passengers were asking the boatman many days ahead, you know, can I ride in your boat kind of thing. So we asked Ryan if we could ride in his boat along with John and Lolly, kind of to give him that vote of confidence. 
yeah, he wasn't lacking in confidence. I think he was a little anxious, but he's he's mature. He's very athletic. He's very capable. He knows what he's doing. But it's still his first time. Yeah. And, and as you told me, they don't let just anybody row those stories. Right. Right. <laughs> as you told me as I was panicking. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets serious once you push off from shore and you're in your dory heading to Lava Falls. Mm-hmm. Now, as we approached it, you can hear the thunder of Lava Falls from a good mile away. So the suspense builds. And as you get into this area, uh, what a lot of people don't know is that this is the edge of a volcanic field, right? And everything is, has this black volcanic rock. And it seemed really omin- ominous. Uh, ominous. It was ominous. <laughs> ominous. <because it> was- <laughs> <laughs> it was wondrous. No, no, it was scarier than hell. <laughs> but it's funny because you can't see lava falls from a little ways away because there's such a big drop. From the river. And of mm. course, on many of the rapids in the, those doors, you're sitting a couple feet off the river. So you're not sitting up. You don't have this perspective of looking down on the river. You're, you just see that all of a sudden in the distance, the river disappears. That's right, which is so scary. So, of course, we beached the dories and supply rafts ahead of lava so that the boatman could go and scout it. And I just wanted to read briefly from this article that I found in the Boatman's Quarterly just to give people an idea of what the boatmen are seeing when they go up and scout Lava Falls. This is from an oarsman. He wrote this article. His name is Stephen Wesley Law. So I'm just going to read this. The first thing that's going to command your attention when scouting Lava Falls is the ledge hole. Right in the center of the rapid, there is this huge, nasty hole created by the water pouring over a huge ledge. It's literally a waterfall. What makes the ledge hole so dangerous, so terrible, is that it creates a recirculating hole immediately below it. It's big enough to flip and destroy a five-ton S-rig if the pilot of the S-rig were unfortunate enough to fall over it. If an ore boat gets pulled in there, it's going to hold it under the water and recirculate it several times before finally spitting it out. It's happened before, and I've seen the videos on YouTube. When the raft finally emerges, it has been pulled apart, destroyed, the frame bent, straps torn, the gear washed away. The guide and the passengers are swimming for their lives. The ledge hole is the last place in the Grand Canyon where I'd want to take a swim. Now, over there on the right is another pour-over, essentially a mini ledge hole. Don't drop over the pour-over. You'll get banged up and your raft could flip. And there's no room at all on the left except for really high water. So there is one route that you can take through Lava Falls. You've got to squeeze your raft between the ledge hole and the pour-over. But this one passage through Lava Falls puts you on a course to encounter several notable challenges and obstacles. First, you've got to bust through the hump wave. If you fail to bust through the hump wave, the current is going to carry you over the pour over. If you successfully navigate the hump wave, you'll hit the V wave, which is where two lateral waves come together to form one massive wave, and you've got to go right through the center of it. The V wave is probably responsible for flipping more rafts in the Grand Canyon than any other rapid or wave, so hit it squarely if you're able. Then, if you survive that, you'll have to face the big kahuna, which is a 10-foot standing wave that's going to break over your raft like a backcountry avalanche. (laughs) Okay, if I would have known about that before we went, (laughs) there's no way I would have done it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good good thing that you found that afterward. I I have to say, it's pretty accurate description Mm. of what... (laughs) And now, having done it, you know exactly what the boatmen are doing. They have to hit these spots mm-hmm. just exactly, right? Exactly right. Or re- you are in big trouble. I remember going past the big kahuna thinking, oh, shit. It was just this straight up wall of water. And I don't know if we snuck past it real quick or something. It didn't break over us. Mm-hmm. And I know that some of the other boats, it hit some other boats. I think 
one of them, the boatman had to jump up real quick and high side himself, stand on one edge of the boat to offset the waves. I do remember hitting that V wave just perfect. And there's not much space there. It's maybe the width of the boat itself. So if you miss it by a little bit, you're you're going to be flipping one side or the other. We hit it perfectly square on. So Ryan did a fantastic job. He nailed it. He nailed it. And they told us before we went that it would probably only take 38 seconds to get through Lava Falls, you know, if you don't flip, right, to enter and get out. So it's, it is very quick. It is a wild ride. Before we dropped in, we were trying to give Ryan all this encouragement. And of course, Lolly's saying stuff like, make it your bitch, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Right before we go in, Lolly yells, not my day to die, MFR. (laughs) But she she says that like 10 times a day. I know, she does. So anyway... Ryan nailed it. It was a perfect run. I actually think he had the best run out of all the boatmen. And what they do, we didn't mention this before, is so Bruce, as the trip leader, always goes first. And then he once he makes it through a rapid, he turns his boat around and watches the next boat. And then they, once they make it through, they turn and watch. And they're all ready to come and rescue right. should they, somebody they, flip. They know their positions. Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. they get through a rapid, then they assume their positions. They each have a different responsibility just in case they have to do recovery, right? So, And then the rafts. Now, I haven't rowed a raft before, but I think it's a little easier for the rafts, but still. Uh, if they do it wrong, they're going to get churned up. and They'll and- go under that ledge part just as much as a dory boat. So we didn't realize this, but as soon as everyone had made it through, there was a little beach just a tiny bit further down that Bruce pulled us all into. And we got out of the boats and come to find out that beach is called Tequila Beach yeah. for a very good reason. <laughs> Only for us it was. It was Whiskey Beach. Whiskey Beach. <laughs> yeah. It's where everyone pulls over, mm-hmm. gets out, and takes a shot of tequila. Because they're happy to be alive. Oh, my gosh. We were celebrating. And it was really sweet and wonderful that everyone was so excited for Ryan, that he had done this really amazing, difficult thing on his first run through. And he was as high as a kite, not from the whiskey yet, but just from the fact that he did it and he did it so beautifully. So it was a really fun celebration. We were probably there for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so doing whiskey we, shots. We and, danced around. And we dancing took, around. We took videos and, of our and, dancing around. That's right. Just happy to be alive. And the last days after lava, it's not like it was all flat water. I mean, we had we had a few rapids. And, mm-hmm. Oh, we had a couple uh, big ones. The fang. Yeah, the fang. The fang. My Jeez. goodness. We were sitting there watching. <laughs> Hannah was rowing one of the support rafts, and she came so close to the fangs. These are sharp rocks sticking three or four feet up out of the water. And if you go over the top of them, it would cut the boat in half. That's not an exaggeration. She missed those by two inches from cutting her boat in half. But after that, it was it was pretty flat water for the last couple of days. That's right. And it's so flat that it's interesting how they do the takeout. We, on our last night, we camped and a jet boat came up to meet us. Came upstream. Yes, came upstream from Lake Mead. And the woman driving the jet boat spent the night at our camp and she actually brought us dinner. Right. It was, uh, it was fantastic dinner. Mm-hmm. She brought, brought us ahi tuna and they seared it over the grill. I oh, mean, that was amazing. I know. And it was a big jet boat. I mean, it sat the 16 of us that went out on it, and Mm -hmm. it probably could have hold three times that many people. That's right. And this is because there is absolutely no current now. As the Colorado River is flowing into Lake Mead and Lake Mead National Recreation Area, so the dory boats, what they did was they all tied up the dories and the rafts, and they, what, put a motor on? Right. That last morning before the jet boat took us out, they strapped the dories and the rafts together together. They hook a motor onto the whole thing. They call it a Death Star. (laughs) And they just motor all of them down to Mm -hmm. where eventually we would end up getting taken out also. So she had brought the engine up the night before that they could attach to the the Death Star. That's right. So it was kind of fun to see that entire process. And then when we got to the takeout, which was Pierce Ferry, our vans were waiting for us. And it was a fairly long drive back to Flagstaff, I think maybe like four hours but yeah, and it was weird to be back in cultural shock. I know to, to be in a motor vehicle. That's and right, and all of a sudden our cell phones started working. Everyone's started beeping, and that first couple hours is a little tough. I remember we stopped at a gas station 
I don't think the van needed gas. I think it was just like a pee break. And I remember going into the convenience store part of the gas station and looking at all the merchandise that you could buy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I bought a razor. <laughs> I know. It was it was a little bit of a culture shock after 18 days. Now, we didn't have time to talk about it on either episode, but I just do want to mention that the boatmen were such incredible stewards of the river. They were passionate about keeping it pristine. They were knowledgeable about its history, and they were very worried about its future. And they taught us so many lessons over the days and nights we spent on the river, right? I mean, there were stories about John Wesley Powell's expedition, Oh, yeah. And every place we stopped, we learned about what he would say about that mm-hmm. spot. They didn't just teach us about the white man's history, right? They told us about the ancient people who lived there. And of course, we had a chance to see the granaries and we saw petroglyphs on our hikes and pottery shards. And we learned a lot about the ancient people who lived in the Grand Canyon throughout hundreds of years. So that was pretty amazing, too. As great as it was floating the Colorado River a couple of times, And we might do it again. I would like to think that that's not our last trip. But it also made us start thinking, what other river trips are out there that we don't know about? And so I had asked the boatmen, and I asked them each this question separately so they couldn't hear each other's answers. And I said, well, if you, other than the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon, what would be your number one river trip in the U.S. to do? And they all had the same exact answer, which was Middle Fork of the Salmon River in Idaho, uh, which I thought it was interesting that they all pretty much without hesitation said the same thing. That's right. And that was on our first river trip that you asked them. So that was in 2016. So ever since then, it has been on our bucket list. And we just ended up booking it for next summer. For July of 2021, we will be rafting the Middle Fork of the Salmon River. Yeah, so looking forward to that. Yeah, so now I just need to get on YouTube and watch all the videos of the rapids that can kill me. <laughs> yeah, don't don't read any of the boatman's stories about how you can die. On the, on the Karen, what's in the mailbag today? Matt, today's question comes from Michelle in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Michelle writes... My husband and I would like to drive to a national park this winter, someplace that's warm with great hiking, but not too crowded where we can socially distance ourselves. Does such a place even exist? No, doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. I'm sorry, Michelle. What's the next mailbag question? All right. You got to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, you're in luck because a couple of places like that exist. Our number one suggestion for something like that would be probably Death Valley National Park. I know. It's huge. I think it's the largest national park in the lower 48. Yes, you can socially distance yourself from everybody and everything there. It never seems crowded. Right. So that's one place. There's a lot of slot canyons that you could go to and do some hikes. Uh, there's some really good drives. And Go- the sand dunes. The sand dunes. You can uh-huh. hike up to the sand dunes and, and never be even close to six feet from anyone else. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, you you it, could drive to the racetrack. You'd have to – you should rent a Jeep if you're going to do that. Yeah. Actually, you know what? No. We should mention is that we are going to do a podcast episode all about Death Valley National Park next month. So we will have – all the tips and tricks in there for spending at least a week there in the winter. Such a great park. But there are a few others, too, we could mention. Swaharo. Swahoro. Cigaro. <laughs> it's not Swa. It's Sawaro. Okay. Sawaro. Sawaro National Park. Okay. We have trouble (laughs) pronouncing this next part. (laughs) Cigarro National Park outside of Tucson. It's not Cigarro. (laughs) It is now. That's my recommendation, Michelle. Go to Cigarro National Park. Ask anyone. Usually we say Swaharo, and that is incorrect. We've been saying it like that for 10 years. We even wrote it in the book, how we mispronounce Uh, it. It is Sahuaro. Okay. Okay. So, Michelle, 
<laughs> go, go there. Saguaro <laughs> National Park, and you will love it. In Tucson, there are two different units that you can hike in. Weather should be great. Although, of course, as soon as we recommend this, there'll be some kind of crazy off-season snowstorm. <laughs> never snows in Tucson. Tucson's a good place to go in the winter. You got mm-hmm. the Catalina State Park. It's got some great hikes. Mount Lemon, which even though you might be trying to get away from winter, up at the top of Mount Lemon, it could be snowy. So mm-hmm. you see, see winter for a couple hours and go back down. Uh, Cigarro National Park. And <laughs> if you wanted to drive a little bit further east, you could go to the <laughs> God, now you're messing me up. Chiricahua. I'm sorry. <laughs> Chiricahua is a great park as well. And it has some great hiking. Plus in Tucson, you can get those prickly pear margaritas. And we need to go down there and do some okay, hiking. Let's go. We, we have to wrap this podcast <laughs> we up do. so we, we, we can do. go to Tucson. All right, Michelle, hope you have a nice uh, winter break in some of these warm parks. If you have a question for us, you can send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobbins, or you can find us on Instagram at mattandkarensmith. To see pictures from our second dory boat trip down the Colorado River, go to www.thedearbobbinsuepodcast.com and click on the title for episode 23. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to other information. So this is this is the section of the outro where you like beg for reviews. <laughs> so are you going to do that again this week? You know, after listening to the last time where I said it was my dream to get to 500 reviews by Christmas time, I felt a little bad after that because I realized that was somewhat shallow and selfish. <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe my dream should have been for world peace, yeah, or world or, peace, or, or the end of hunger, or something a, a little more altruistic. Something that's not about you. Exactly, exactly. Good, so good. I'm not going to urge people to leave reviews. So we'll get to 500 by Christmas. However, I will just remind people <laughs> that if you do want to leave a review, anyone can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen to our show on Google, Spotify, or another podcast app. The books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. Our show is produced by our very talented team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects. And our theme music is by Will West. Matt, thank thank goodness Bruce warned us about our booze supply so that we were able to buy enough whiskey to last us through our Lava Falls celebration. Yeah, but don't tell people we drink White Claw. (laughs) (laughs) Some things are just between you and I, okay? Let's not not share. You mean don't tell anyone that there's White Claw downstairs in your beer fridge in the garage? Well, that's not my fault. My lips are sealed. (laughs) 